We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Sot Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome back to Truth Perspective, everyone. Today is Saturday, August 15th, and I'm your host, Elon Martin. Hailing today from Edmonton, Canada, is our roving reporter on special assignment. It's also our co-host, Harrison Kitty. Hi, guys. How's it going? Yeah, Harrison. And back in the studio with me are editors of the net, Shane LaChance. Hi, everybody. And William Barbet. Good afternoon, everyone. Just a little reminder that you can call in with your comments or thoughts. The number here is 718-508-9499. We're going to get quite a bit into the subject of color revolution here today, something we discussed quite a lot before here on the show. But given how far its effects are and how pervasive the phenomenon is, we thought we'd get into it with uh, a little a little bit more detail, and uh, and cover that. But before we do, we thought we would just discuss a few stories that caught our eye during the past week. And I know, Preston, you mentioned a couple that you thought were interesting. What were those? Yeah, well, first, uh, there's this story. Uh, it just caught my eye because it's just typical craziness that we see all the time, um, and as usual, coming out of... Uh, Israel. So um, this has to do with the, the latest Iran deal, which we've talked about, you know, in previous shows. And this was from an interview that defense, Israeli Defense Minister Moshe Alan gave to Der Spiegel. And so they were talking about the deal. And he said, uh, quote, ultimately, it is very clear one way or another, Iran's nuclear program must be stopped. So that's just the first part of the quote. And, I mean, just to, it's typical over-the-top, um, you know, one way or another. In other words, by any means possible, <laughs> Iran's nuclear program must be stopped. Um, just more of the, the BS, um, you know, grandstanding that Israeli politicians typically do in any uh, yeah. you know, scenario regarding Iran. And so he was further asked um, whether Iran would see further deaths of its nuclear scientists. And so he responded, "We should be ready to def- we should be ready to defend ourselves. I'm not responsible for the lives of Iranian scientists." So a little kind of cryptic, uh, cryptic remark there. That's not so cryptic because um, it's pretty much well known that Israel has had a hand in assassinating ir- Iranian scientists over the years. In fact, uh, five Iranian scientists have died in car bombings. And, uh, of course, Israel doesn't admit to it, but they never admit to, you know, any of their their covert ops or assassinations, even when it's uh, pretty much proven beyond any reasonable doubt that they're the ones responsible. So um, I just thought this was a, a, a great little insight into the, the mindset 
behind uh, the politicians like and uh, you know defense ministers and the guys pulling the strings in Israel, but not just Israel, everywhere, um, you know, in the big power centers of the of the planet, like uh, like in the U.S. primarily, and how just how they can say these things, and it's just like uh, um, it should be accepted. That I mean, it, it's it's just so over the top to to make a statement like that. That so. Okay, I'm not responsible for the lives of Iranian scientists. In other words, you know, if they if they might die um, under suspicious circumstances, um, you know, not my problem. And th- and th- just think about it. These are scientists, and they're sure they're part of a, they, or they may or may not even be part of a nuclear program. It doesn't necessarily even have to do have to do with developing a nuclear bomb. I mean, as the guys on the behind the headlines have pointed out a couple times, like Joe. Uh, even when he called into our, to our show, um, it's even perfectly likely that Iran has a, a nuclear weapon, and they pro- they could have even gotten it, or probably did, or the technology for it, or the the parts from um, from the well, depending on when they got it, you know, maybe Russian parts or whatever. But um, to to then come out and half openly say that you know, or imply that you may assassinate some more scientists i mean who assassinates scientists i mean um that's pretty openly nazi or fascist or just totalitarian and just totally violates the sovereignty of another nation and doesn't even um doesn't even presume to acknowledge the sovereignty of another nation or their scientists or their civilians and so and that actually ties into to the topic of the show, which uh, has to do with color revolutions, which are ultimately um, violations of other countries' sovereignty. So that's just um, one story that I wanted to bring up. Um, kind of tangential. I just wanted to. Got my eyes. Yeah. I just wanted to comment as part of his uh, statement. You know, the, the the sheer arrogance behind his. Uh, kind of refusing to acknowledge any deal with Iran. Uh, you know, they have uh, several nations involved in the negotiations, including the U.S. And you know, here he comes, full bluster, uh, negating the validity of it. It's like, well, you guys can have your you know, your little uh, negotiation there, but we're not stand for it. You know, we'll do anything we we think is right with Israel, and, and that includes assassinating scientists or, or, or God knows. Um, so it's pretty difficult, Israel, you know, the arrogance uh, involved in their thinking, and, and they don't do very much to hide that. Um, and, of course, they flat out any kind of U.S. resolution that, that would prevent them from... Taking away the rights, uh, the, the natural rights of civilian Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza. So, you know, typical, typical bluster and, and arrogance and, and bullying and posturing on the part of Israel. Once again, we're having a little bit of a choppy connection, um, so maybe we'll try to call in uh, through the another means. I can tell a, I can tell a story if you guys want to um, 
try logging in like with Direct Connect or something. Sure. Okay. All right. I'll right, we'll be right back. Okay. So, I got a little story. So, as Elon introduced uh, introduced me, I'm in Edmonton right now in Canada. So, I had to fly back from the states and uh, into Canada, and just had a my first um, intimate encounter with uh, the TSA, and uh, because I flew through LAX and. It's quite an adventure flying through LAX. First of all, it's a horrible airport. Um, they're always doing construction and renovations, and it's impossible to find your place around. There's no maps. There's no instructions on how to get from one terminal to another. And so, you know, after 20 minutes of walking around and fly and uh, you know leaving the airport, having to you know finding my terminal and then getting back in, of course, you know they have to you have to go through security again. So everyone, they were putting everyone through the the rapey scan, uh, you know, the body scanners, and so I opted out. And obviously, you know, from the look I got from the from the TSA agent, you know, they don't like anyone opting out from it. But you know, they said, okay, you know, you just got to wait for someone to be made available to, uh, you know, to do your uh, um, your pat down, basically. And so I waited about five, ten minutes before someone was able to come and. So I didn't have to go through the the rapey scan, but then they do like a, pretty much a they do a pretty thorough um, pat down, and yeah, so there's pretty much nothing left to the imagination after that, and it's just it was kind of mind blowing because that's the, I, I travel I travel a lot like I've been I've flown at least twice a year for the last um, you know several years and. That is, you know, I've never had to have a pat down like that before. I've never even had to go through one of the body scanners. So, um, the fact that, you know, I'm pretty sure that they just do it like that because, the, you know, because I opted out. And so, if you want to opt out, they want to just, you know, make it almost infinitely more uncomfortable for you. But yeah, as invasive as possible, basically. What's that? As invasive as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And Is that just LAX, or did you have multiple adults? Uh, What's that? Can you say that again? It's kind of still kind of choppy. Uh, I was asking if uh, if it was just the LAX that you had these uh or was it at the multiple layers? Yeah, just at LAX. So are we sounding back to people? Let's see. Can our chatters say? So chat room chatters, is it any better on their end? Or are they still choppy? Yeah, no, it sounds worse actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'd say close that out and just uh, go back to uh, go back to Skype, I guess. Unfortunately. Okay, so LAX. There was that. Um, but then the difference, like, uh, it's it's quite a difference. 
when you get to Canada. Um, now, of course, it's always easier coming back to the country where you're, fa- where you're from, but um, flying into Canada, it's it's like uh, you fill out your customs sheet and they say, what did you buy? I said, nothing. And so they just let you walk right in. You give your you give your sheet. They ask you, where were you? You say, oh, I was visiting friends. And they say, okay, you know, welcome back to Canada. And uh, <laughs> I just wish traveling like was that uh, that easy all over the place because mm-hmm. one of the things I was telling uh, telling some friends was that um, really TSA is a totally worthless and functionless organization because first of all it, it is just totally ineffective. I mean, you read the reports where they're like ninety percent ineffective at um, catching like people that they deliberately send through in order to test the efficiency of the the programs that they're running and you know they don't catch the weapons that get sent in or whatever so they just first of all they don't do their je- their their jobs very well in the first place second of all it's just uh, I mean that's not where terrorists really go I mean the only the only terrorists that go through airports are the ones that are paid to do it by the by you know intelligence agencies and they don't do a very good job and so what's the point of the TSA it's it's not security never was and so it's pretty much just um you know it's just to to humiliate people get them used to to having to obey orders and do what they want uh, that's pretty much it and so TSA completely worthless they could save a lot of money and actually have people enjoy experience of flying if they didn't have these ridiculous programs and technologies and um, I don't know. It's just airports are, are a ridiculous place, and just the amount of of useless security. And um, but then you know that gets into the area of just how difficult it's becoming to travel and to have um, just free travel between countries. It's it's not only is it, is it a pain; it can be difficult. And so you know you can be stopped and uh, and questioned and have all your stuff gone through, and then um, just the ridiculous like length of, of visa stays. Like it used to be that a Canadian, for example, could go to the states and uh, you know spend ten years there, and then come back, and there's no problem. It was just pretty much like an open border in that sense. And now there's a, a six-month limit um, for North Americans going to um, to the Schengen area. So most of the, most of Europe, they can spend. Um, 90 days out of 180 days, and so so there's these strict limitations for how long you can spend in a country, and so it really has unless you have like a half a million dollars or a million dollars, and then you can pretty much buy a citizenship in another country, and um, you know, or if you get work visas, but just for traveling, and if you just want to spend a bunch of time in another country, it makes it very difficult, and so it's just. Another example of how ridiculous things are becoming. Yeah. Are you guys there? Are you back? We're here. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to try again and see how uh, see if things uh, flatten up. And you guys, you just, um, you know, a little behind the scenes, you guys can always call in as a guest, too, if you have any problems, and then you'll disappear. So that's what we've had to do sometime in the past. 
Blog Talk Radio is another thing that is fun to complain about just because <laughs> yeah, that's a fun technology on on this side. But uh, it seems like the chopping has gone away, so hopefully, uh, hopefully we can move on from here. Okay. Are you there, Harrison? Yeah, I'm there. Okay. Well, yeah, it's uh, sounds like going anywhere these days, but especially in a big airport like LAX is uh, by design made to feel like an ordeal to discourage you from uh, <laughs> from, from wanting to go anywhere. Um, I mean, it's unpleasant. Obviously, the five or ten minutes you have to wait for somebody to uh, you literally have to wait for someone to come down and mm-hmm. do this pat down. I mean, it's just um, <laughs> what can you say? It's 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 egregious. Well, while you're uh, while you're up in Canada, Harrison, if you get a chance to visit Lake Canada, uh, tell our friend uh, Relic we said hi. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually on the lower shores of Lake Canada right now, so oh, okay. <laughs> I might I might make the hike up and uh, and say hi to him. <laughs> it's in front of the fire. I might I might tell him I might uh, teach him how to pronounce some of those celebrities' names though because I know he has trouble with that sometimes you know they can be tough you know being, yeah, being yeah. isolated from the world you know it's hard to get to it's hard to <laughs> hard to say incarnation <laughs> did we have some other um, recent news that we wanted to get into before the Lon, I think you had a couple pieces. Uh, nothing that I want to, you know, that I can, that I actually need to devote any time to. I might slip in some stuff throughout the conversation, but uh, no, if we're ready to go with the with the main topic, let's do it. Well, there was one, there was one uh, thing. Um, so, speaking of uh, uh, just you know these the, the arrogance that uh, our leaders say, and you know talk the things that they say and comes out of their mouths it's just baffling sometimes and um this past week my secretary of state john Kerry, uh he's accused russia and china of very likely reading his emails so um you know it's just it's just so bizarre to hear this from you know a, a US official uh and you know the nsa's program on you know everybody in the United States and you know in other and in, in other countries as well um, this uh, so this this latest um, this latest piece of propaganda he's it, it comes on top of uh, some more recent events where you know China had been blamed for a security uh, of the office of personnel management that was from last June and and then um shortly after that you know, russia was named as the suspected culprit when the Pentagon's chief of staff email was hacked so you know they don't provide any kind of evidence whatsoever it's just like you know these are our, our suspicions and you know these these are the boogeymen basically and you know russia and china are are they're, they're the devil right um, but this, this isn't this isn't the first time that uh, that Carrie's come out with just 
really bogus uh, statements. I'm sure people remember when um, when he he's talked about how that the um, uh, United States uh, you know won't um, won't you know, the United States supports international law with respect to sovereignty and the integrity of other other people. Like you know, and and he's he's and in that state he was uh, accusing you know Russia uh, of um, you know invading Ukraine. So um, this all it ties into um, and he made you know just a uh, a couple months ago just I think when he was visiting Russia um, with with uh, Lavrov and you know, he was saying that um, the United States doesn't have Never in government uh, any kind of color revolutions. He, you know, he actually said he actually said this. Uh, he said, uh, "I think President Putin misinterprets much of the United States is trying to do. We're not involved in numerous color revolutions." Well, you know, when I heard that, I was thinking to but we've been here many times. Perspective. Lobachevsky actually has a term for precisely this type of called reversive blockade. And what he says is uh, emphatically insisting upon something which is the opposite of truth blocks the average person's mind from perceiving the truth. In accordance with the dictates of healthy common sense, he starts searching for meaning in the golden mean, quote unquote, between the truth and its opposite. With some satisfactory counter. People who think like this do not realize that this, that this effect is precisely the intent of the person who subjects them to this method. If the counterfeit of the truth is the opposite of the moral truth, at the same time, it simultaneously represents an extreme paramoralism, which is another term which now explains, and bears its peculiar suggestiveness. We rarely see this method being used by normal people, even if raised people who have used it. They usually only indicate its results in their characteristic difficulties in apprehending reality properly. Use of this method can be included within the above special psychological knowledge developed by psychopaths concerning the weaknesses of human nature and the art of leading others into error. Where they are in rule, this method is used with virtuosity and to an extent contemnous power or confluence with their power. The point he's making is that uh, unless you realize, unless you've seen the pattern, unless you have the fact, you know, a guy like Kerry can can make statements like this, um, blatant lies and deflections, and uh, there is a certain percentage of people who are going to buy it, no question. Um, so uh, that's what we have in, in, uh, in the form of John Kerry, and I think I think uh, we have a soundbite of, uh, of John Kerry uh, actually making this statement. We didn't do color revolutions. That wasn't us. The, the Russia's doing it. So that was um, that was John Kerry. Was John Kerry, yeah, just uh, several days ago, or actually, I think that was actually several months ago. So, so yeah, this uh, you know, this these these reverse blockades, 
you know, the average person isn't going to be thinking that the the lies uh, coming out of our leaders' mouths are would be so blatant. You know, we have there's there's no frame of reference for really looking at those things when there's just such this lack of knowledge of psychopathy and you know that they are pathological liars and that they are you know at the height of power and you know people just it's it's inconceivable that that um you know, people, leaders could lie so blatantly. I thought we talked for a moment about the very color revolution. Um, why not just call it revolution? Um, I think implied in the term, because uh, all of these revolutions have a color, um, except the bulldozer revolution, which is read about today, which is used to Yugoslavia, uh, the rose revolution, the green revolution, um, orange, lilac, orange, lilac, cedar, cedar, uh, orange rainbow revolution. All, that's it's funny you bring that up because I I think for instance that the rainbow revolution if you want to get into um, the whole LGBT uh, movement is in itself a kind of a um, you know if it's not funded by Soros per se or Soros a type of um, actually divisive uh, way to um, get people thinking in a certain direction. Well, well, before we get into that, Elon, um, I just wanted to go over some of the the revolutions that the United States has supported. Um, Wayne Maddox put this list together, and and it, this isn't even um, comprehensive. Well, it's 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 a decent sized list, but it's not. It's also not complete. There, there's you know, there's been more um, revolutions that don't necessarily have these fancy names. That um, involved in. So the United States has supported the Rose Revolution in Georgia, the Orange Revolution in Ukraine, that was in 2004, uh, the Cedar Revolution in Lebanon, the Olive Tree Revolution in Palestine, and that was uh, that saw when um, Palestine saw Hamas come and effectively split the Palestinian independence movement. Um, was the Tulip, the Tulip revolution in Kyrgyzstan, the purple revolution in Iraq, the blue revolution in Kuwait, saffron revolution in Burma, crimson revolution in Tibet, green revolution in Iran, um, and, and there has been you know, several themed revolutions in uh, Moldavia, uh, like the grape revolution, um, the yellow revolution in Mongolia, uh, uh, Cotton Revolution in Uzbekistan, and there's another separate revolution uh, in the Russian Republic of uh, Bashkortostan. Um, police Revolution in Ecuador, and and you know it it keeps going on and on. Like you know this isn't this isn't a uh, a complete list. Like I said, oh, it's, yeah, it goes and it, it's just it's baffling. It's well, really baffling. You know, if you if you think about them as brands, mm-hmm. it's like this is this country's brand of revolution. It's got a color, it's got a theme, it's got its own statements, it's got you know, its logo, it's got its own logo with the fist, catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. If people see the uh, one of the pictures 
the, the photos that's on the slideshow uh, on top of Blacktop Radio. Um, one of them covers like the the different symbols that have been used. I say different, but you know it's all the same. Basically, the same logo of this in the air. The slight variation of color, uh, you know, maybe slightly like it, it's it's at a triangle instead of a circle. Yada yada yada. But you know how how uncreative are these people? Like you know they just rebrand and uh, you know rename using the same material and the same techniques. Um, and, and even the same, like I remember when um, I'm not sure if it was uh, when when the um, Arab Spring was going on, um, but there was these pamphlets that were being sent out to people, and used the same. Uh, they were using the same graphics and just rewriting different languages uh, to you know from from Egypt to uh, I don't know if the other one was in Syria. But you know, it's 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 just it's 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 baffling. Like I said, well, it's there's definitely a template, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, the template is organized, designed by, and distributed and financed by these non-governmental organizations that reach out to um, institutions of education, uh, you know, politicians. Who are ambitious and corrupt, um, and sincere people who would, you know, have a legitimate grievance with the government in charge, and that's really what uh, these organizations, uh, funded by the U.S., take advantage. Of. Um, there was a article revolution underway in Macedonia as Western propaganda now goes into full spin mode by an Andrew Koriboko review. And uh, one of our editors um, took the opportunity to include highlights of um, you know, this, this template that we're talking about, um, which kind of um, speaks to every type of revolution involved. Uh, this was a book um, that he took an excerpt called in Syria, CIA Hunter Gang and Markets Murder. And um, it's a more extreme example, um, but that's quite often uh, the direction that uh, many of these color revolutions take. And uh, the overview he gave it was you know, NG to create climate protest in the target country, um, provocateurs organize demonstrations, then fire on protesters and security forces alike to stoke violence, uh, stage mislabeled video that creates the illusion of repression by the regime or the government in charge. Mass uh, media. And just on, on that point, mm-hmm. um, it hasn't gotten the Moretti video, who uh, Joe Neal interviewed uh, a few weeks ago, uh, so I put together a little documentary on, on Libya, and and one of the clips was showing this this staged uh, protest where people would be walking. They they had it was all this crew that they had uh, all dressing. You know, um, Year and whatnot, and having our sign flags, 
and they would be walking forward and then they'd stop for the photo shoot, walk forward a little bit more, stop again. And I'll take these like, you know, really, um, uh, yeah, these, these poses, you know, they're not, you know, lady lying down with blood on her head and, and, you know, it was all, it was just all a, a, a stage, uh, up. Along these lines, uh, which reminds me, Shane, there's a, a film that I've been mentioned here before called Wag Dog, Robert De Niro, Dustin uh, Hoffman. And um, <laughs> this operative was hired by the administration at the time to orchestrate a war, uh, a meeting of this construct of war in some god knows uh, what place uh, in Eastern Europe. And uh, all just like from presence, um, kind of um, big you know, mistake that he was making at the time. Uh, it's really instructive. It's really funny. And it was made in the late 90s. And uh, so the recommendation there. Um, just to continue with this list, uh, mass media endlessly the big lie that the nation's leader is a brutal dictator. Give a dog a bad name and hang him. In border towns and special forces, death squads, CIA formed of Al-Qaeda fomment a civil war on ethnic divides and fabricate pretexts for military intervention by the UN or NATO. Bomb the country into the Stone Age to be conquered by NATO's Islamic terrorists. Eradicate socialism and government, replacing it with a corrupt clique. U.S. corporations write multi billion dollar contracts for reconstruction and security, yielding an astronomical profit on the spoils of war. Isolate Lebanon, Palestine, Iraq, and Iran, Iran, Israel, the So um, that, again, was more specific to Syria and Libya, I think. But um, most of the points there are applicable to any situation. Um, and of course, you know, you can get very upset when China or Russia decide that they, <laughs> they're not going to have any of it. Um, there was an Change in China, Washington using NGOs and dirty work, written by an Ekaterina Villanova, uh, writing for Sputnik. And um, she says, you know, this may take the form of civil society penetration, human rights propaganda, or infiltration into people such as academia, political activism, or popular media. As such, these NGOs form a very potent weapon in the Western countries, whose goal is to influence the hearts and minds of the targeted countries. Um, and of course, she goes on to discuss how Russia and China being uh, this big political, military, economic threat in the world are two main um, targets uh, for Western penetration and, uh, and color revolution. Hey, Elon, so, let me interrupt you for a second there. 
Um, we're still getting, it's still pretty choppy. Um, I can hear yeah. Shane, I can hear Shane a lot clearer and he's cutting in less and he's cutting in less or cutting in and out less. Um, can you just try, I don't know, maybe, um, are you a bit fur, further away from the mic than he is? Nope. I was a lot closer. I'm speaking away right now. How does that sound? Okay. That's really weird because, because you're really ch cutting in and out and, uh, Shane, not so much. Um, is this yeah, better? pretty bad. Okay. Try another mic. There. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for the technical difficulty, folks. I just. Does this sound a little better? Try talking some more. We'll see. So we were talking about Russia and China in particular. Um, China has a new NGO law. Uh, there's an article called Countering Western Soft Power and Subversion. And uh, Eric Dreister discusses a, a bit of this. Um, basically, he was pointing to the Umbrella Revolution. Uh, I don't know how they came up with that name, but uh, there it is. Um, and this was yet another uh, in Hong Kong that, that I heard about a year and a half ago, uh, also produced by the National Democratic Institute, NDI, and the NED, which is a name that comes up quite often. Um, and, uh, you know, not only got students involved in this movement, um, but there are also uh, being really divisive in their demonizing of uh, the Beijing government and supporting the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or not, but it's called interest groups in China. Um, they reach out all of these different groups uh, that belong to the, um, I guess, uh, race or, 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 um, or group within China. And they're trying to foment, uh, color revolution there as well. So any line that find any entryway, uh, to, um, uh, disgruntled groups or even idealistic young people, uh, they'll do that. Um, and China having any been taking a, as a playbook of, that, uh, who's been out NGOs uh, and, and stepping up their resistance as well in the past uh, two to three years. Yeah, this uh, the Occupy Central, which was also the uh, umbrella revolution in Hong Kong. So that was one of the you know the main leaders that was uh, this Western academic Benny guy. Um, so he was this law professor at the University of Hong Kong and. Uh, he had been, you know, for years part with uh, NDI, the NED, which, you know, is the guys to the department. And, you know, you see this kind of activity a lot, these academic types who are in 
you know, inserted in to, to uh, you know, these, these types of uh, so-called revolutions. And um, back to the, uh, you know, just this, the, basically the summarization. Um, for, for those who have read Political Phenomenology, um, which Elon uh, talked about earlier regarding the blockchain, you know, this, this process of polarization, you can see it um, in, in how you know, these color revolutions uh, develop. You know, there's, a, there's this crisis that is um, sometimes it's, it goes on its own, and often, often enough times it's created by uh, you know the uh, these Western powers and you know these, these pathological types and that chaos uh, it, it prevent or it presents a this opportunity for um, different um, well one these these spellers, um, they have this talent advantage of uh, of people in crisis and uh, they're they're able to do such decisive decisions uh, in in moments that really bypass uh, okay yeah no Shane Shane I can't understand yeah. yeah we can't hear you um let's okay we're gonna try I think we're gonna try to call in uh, yeah as a guest Okay. So yeah, we're going to uh, we're going to try option three here, which is the lo-fi option. And funnily enough, the lo-fi option often works better than the hi-fi option, and that involves just uh, using your phone. So hopefully, we can get this to work because I can't even understand what's going on. So. Hold on for like a few seconds. We're going to see if we can get this working. Right. Okay. So, are you there, guys, or one of you? Um, can you hear me? Oh, yes. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. So we are just getting set up here again. Um, yeah, those were the, the clearest words of the show so far. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, I don't think it's been that bad for us ever having the choppiness that bad. I mean, we usually manage to figure it out uh, or get it fixed, you know, during the show, but we haven't had to resort to this. Um, yeah, maybe the multiple locations. I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. You got, you got it? Got one more. Hello? Okay, yeah. Uh, yep, you're on to Elon. We're back a little bit. William, you there? I don't think we've got William yet. No, oh, oh, we heard that, William. You're in. Oh, okay. There, there we, we go. go. 
by nook or by crook. We'll do this show. Okay, so um, back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, just this, these, these spellbinder uh, types who you know seem to take advantage of these uh, these situations. It's kind of a, it's a good example, I think, of how um, of how these color revolutions work. Which is you know they they go in and they have um, these, these types of individuals have this decisive ability that really normal human beings don't uh, particularly have um, because, you know, people, normal people have these doubts and they need to weigh their options and think about things. And uh, these spellbinder types, they, you know, really, they, they don't, um, they don't go through that, that process. So, when thinking about this in terms of the color revolutions, um, we could see how the um, this the, the NED and you know, George Soros they have these ready-made things that they can offer people. Um, when when you see like the when you see the protests happening, it's it's amazing because there's you know all all these ready-made signs that everybody's carrying. Uh, these factory uh, factory fresh flags, uh, just flags everywhere. You know, people aren't having these things at home; they're being given these things as they uh, as they come to you know these protests, and and a lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of them are hired too. So you have this mix of um, just this completely fabricated uh, environment, and a lot of normal people are just kind of stuck in the middle. Um, and a lot of people aren't going to be, you know, out there in the streets you know, with, with, these, with these types of people. But the the massive um, presentation that's created kind of gives this image to them where they think that, okay, yeah, you know, there's, there's this real genuine thing going on when, you know, it's all just a, a complete fabrication. Yeah, it's inauthentic. Uh, it's not organic to uh, the people of the nation that's revolting. Um, a perfect example of this is the I am a Ukrainian video that we saw last spring. Um, this is where a young woman uh, in Ukraine uh, came out and, and made this little video um, with a little help. Um, her video had over 3 million views and basically she was appealing to the world community to support uh, the events in Maidan. Um, and we'll get into a little bit about what was behind that. Well, we have uh, we have that clip for a reminder for people. Um, we're actually on mute. So Harrison, are you able to play that clip? I am Ukrainian. Yeah, give me one sec, I'll get that up there. So, do you remember who uh, produced this? Yes. Um, oh, sorry, I got it here. We'll, t we'll, yeah. we'll say afterwards. Here it is. I'm 
the Ukrainian, the native of Kiev. And now I am on Maidan, on the central part of my city. I want you to know why thousands of people all over my country are on the streets. There is only one reason. We want to be free from a dictatorship. We want to be free from the politicians who work only for themselves, who are ready to shoot, to beat, to injure people just for saving their money, just for saving their houses, just to saving their power. I want these people who are here, who have dignity, who are brave, I want them to live a normal life. We are civilized people, but our governments are barbarians. That's not a Soviet Union. We want our courts not to be corrupted. We want to be free. I know that maybe tomorrow we will have no phone, no internet connection, and we will be alone here. And maybe policemen will murder us one after another when it will be dark here. That's why I ask you now to help us. We have this freedom inside inside our hearts. We have this freedom in our minds. And now I ask you to build this freedom in our country. You can help us only by telling this story to your friends, only by sharing this video. Please share, share it. Speak to your friends, speak to your family, speak to your government and show that you support us. If you've never seen the video before, uh, the young woman speaking is quite attractive. She's young. Um, she seems sincere and honest and idealistic. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, she is the spellbinder um, that Lobachevsky describes. Um, and she's spellbound herself. Uh, she's been basically, uh, if not hired out, then prompted by an organization headed by an individual named Larry Diamond, who's been producing quote-unquote grassroots documentaries that um, fight for democracy all over the world, as, as he terms it. Um, what's little known about the guy is that he's worked closely with the uh, NED, um, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, uh, and it's convinced considered the CIA's, uh, quote, civilian arm um, involved in uh, creating these movements around the world. So he's a professional uh, dog wagger, um, as it's called. Um, he also had an instrumental role in the Arab Spring. And, uh, as, you know, as far as we know, he's probably still involved in, in a number of ways. Yeah, and and just to make note too, with along with uh, Larry Diamond's involvement, uh, the the video makers who actually put put this uh, little propo on was uh, it was actually they're actually like a PR firm. So this is this is what they do, you know. They they're it's it's basically kind of like going to an an advertising agency and you know getting getting a, an ad for. You know, your whatever propaganda you have, um, 
he uh, and this this the guy who is doing the in the documentary. Uh, he was in Ukraine preparing to film the doc uh, the documentary before the protests had even started. So you know he had been given the go ahead uh, that you know they'd been they would be creating these these uh, these protests and yeah, it, it was just all a big sham. Yeah, this kind of shows the secret ingredient is pretty much a sophisticated science used to manipulate the emotions and circumvent critical thinking. You know, history shows that to much of the power elite, humanity is seen as a collection of nerve endings to be pushed and pulled one way or the other, sometimes made to tremble in fear, sometimes made to salivate like a lost dog. These days, the manipulation is so pervasive, so subtle, so effective that even critical individuals at times must necessarily fail to recognize how often or in what context they have fallen prey. Of course, fear is the most obvious emotion played upon to affect massive social change. That is, humanity has been physiologically equipped with a range of emotions is not merely arrested and controlled by fear alone. The strata of behavioral and social science also found it useful to master the flip side of the emotional spectrum by that we desire. And all that drives groups of individuals to act, even in the face of fear, in pursuit of something worthwhile. So many are the professions that utilize this understanding, including but not limited to marketing, advertising, public relations, politics, lawmaking, radio, television, journalism, news, film, music, and general business and sales. Each of them selling, branding, promoting, entertaining, sloganeering, framing, explaining, creating friends and enemies, arguing like and dislike, setting the boundaries of good and evil, in many cases using their talents to circumvent their audience's intellect, the real target being emotional, oftentimes subconscious. The interesting thing about that uh, video was uh, soon after it was put out and it went viral, um, she was invited onto CNN with Anderson Cooper. And he, as we know, was, is the same guy who aggressively pushed the Coney 2012 um, hoax until it came out that the producer of that little video was uh, unstable, to say the least. And um, just this kind of... Um, way to set up people to think about uh, how important it was to go after dictators in the world. Um, so that's how the game is played. You have a, a, a viral video or a piece of information that gets uh, disseminated. You know, you have this huge media organ like CNN that picks it up and, and propagates it a little further. And uh, unless it's followed up with real data, you're just not going to know uh, that you're uh, being shown a commercial um, brought to you by uh, the Western Color Revolutionists of the U.S. Uh, another interesting point about that young woman um, whose name escapes me, Yulia uh, something or other, in any case, she was just appointed by uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, who was appointed governor of Odessa uh, by Poroshenko to be like the third in command. Um, 
And, uh, you know, here she is a year after all the events of Maidan, and uh, she's put into this uh, position of power, um, and she's probably quite clueless, uh, even after seeing her country devolve into utter chaos. Uh, so that's what happens. These people who get uh, paid or prompted or encouraged to be the spokespeople for these color movements, these color revolutions, uh, they get rewarded, and and they're patsies. They're um, they're tools of a, a much larger machine that's at work. Well, guys, uh, it looks like we've got a caller. Do you want to go to the caller? So this is uh, sure. okay. Yeah, this is Jonathan from Tampa Bay. So Jonathan, yes. welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Yes, yeah, it's going very well, and and I and I um, I'm very intrigued by this particular topic. And um, well, the topic seems to be um, truth in general, right? The the notion of truth. And um, I am I'm 51 years old, and I have. Uh, you know, I've studied philosophy in the past, and um, you know, I think I'm, I think I think that this whole notion of truth is um, is something that deserves um, incredible tension. And um, I'll just give you an example. Um, this situation with uh, Russia, um, you know, I'm kind of like an outsider in it. I I, I don't really subscribe to. Uh, any particular like hard hard uh, dogmatic uh, liberalism or conservatism in the uh, context of Republican and Democrat, but um, and I'm seeing the BS in um, in a lot of what I hear. So uh, all of this Putin bashing and, and the buildup of what what happened, what actually happened in Ukraine, the narratives are so incredibly divergent. And um, this young lady that was on the video that was part of propaganda for the United States State Department, um, now she's working for uh, Saakashvili, and it seems that Odessa is going to be one of these, uh, uh, a major point of uh, contestation mm -hmm. with respect to U.S. US and uh you know, Western, NATO, pro-U.S. Uh, designs on the region. Um, as I started studying this this situation with Russia and, and Ukraine, it was almost like uh, it just totally clicked that this was a continuation of the the, the false flags, the uh, the pseudo democracy, the the propaganda line that that it is, it is so interconnected with the sophisticated program of U.S. imperialism as, as it's developed for decades and it continues on. So uh, the level of sophistication in, in how they um, develop these memes and messages that totally, uh, like, so for example, when, they're, when the West in pro, uh, you know, anti-Russia, uh, pro-U.S. Um, factions, develop their narrative and what they cover, what they leave out of that narrative may, is the actual difference that makes the difference, which is, which is i.e. information. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that 
as I look at, you know, as I receive these messages and I review um, the the discourse coming out of the pro-Russia side and then the U.S. side in the comparison of it, I see that one side, the pro-U.S., pro-NATO imperialist side, consistently leaves out aspects of the, the narrative, the unfolding drama, um, to, uh, and, and, and they leave it out, they leave out these various aspects of it, um, points that, that of contingency, of, of uh, contestation, that they're being very, very dishonest in what they leave out for their public, right? The people they're yeah. trying to influence. And um, I'll, I'll give you, this is a very vertiginous situation that we're in right now. Um, I'm very concerned because this could very, this could indeed, um, this could indeed unfold where we have a nuclear conflagration. And um, I think this is the, one of the most important things to pay attention to in our time. But um, I find it really interesting that people that I would ostensibly and historically that I would agree with and I would be inclined to, uh, you know, listen to what they say, you know, it's kind of a left perspective, how many of these people so incredibly dishonestly and lazily advance the, uh, the narrative of the U.S. pro-imperialist State Department. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like Democracy Now!, I'll name names, Democracy Now!, when it came to Libya, I remember one program, this was right on the press of the invasion, where Democracy Now! had two, two guests on that were both promoting the State Department line. There was no counter-narrative. And I've seen the same with the Ukraine with respect to Democracy Now!, I almost stopped listening to them. They'll occasionally have Stephen Cohen on, who I respect uh, very much. But uh, they've been playing down this whole issue of the Ukraine. I've totally lost respect for them. I'll never donate any money to them again. And um, so anyway, about truth, and I'll, I'll hang up, and, but I would, I would really encourage y'all to um, interrogate the whole notion of truth. Um, there's, I, I keep hearing this over and over again. We want the truth. You know, the truth, the truth is this unobtainable uh, metaphysical um, condition where you'll be able to concretize a particular narrative and then and you will emboss it for all time as, quote unquote, the truth. When I believe from my reflection and my experience that truth is something that's ecstatic, it's dynamic, and it's unfolding. So truth is not the same when it comes to a human narrative about a condition that we're, we share in common as it is a truth, say, a, a mathematical truth that 2 plus 2 always equals 4. Those are different levels of it. And um, I believe that epistemologically and ontologically, that's in our theories of being and our theories of knowledge, what we can know. These should be interrogated, and we should, we should evolve into a larger notion of truth because I believe it comes down to more or less compelling. When you give me a narrative of, of how events unfold in Ukraine, 
I'm going to weigh the evidence. I'm going to see your arguments as being more or less cogent than competing narratives. So um, mm-hmm. I believe I believe that we are wedded to a very primitive notion of what truth is, and it's a very procrustean, restrictive, and uh, and 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 sophist. Like the notion of the sophist was one that could, in the times of ancient Greece, they specialized in rhetoric, influencing public opinion, or doxa, which is another word they came up with for public opinion, the common ideas. They were very skillful in influencing people through propaganda, through rhetoric. And then what Socrates was advancing at the time was just interrogate everything people believe they know. And just interrogate this doggedly, and um, and he was killed for that, for for being so scrupulous in that. But anyway, I, I didn't want to get far afield from what your your subject matter was today about these color revolutions and these narratives. But I don't think that it's far afield. I would just um, I think that the whole idea of truth and what is truth. We should be scrupulous, and we should interrogate it in our no, our own narratives, or the the narratives that we are inclined to uh, embrace, and the other narratives that we are inclined to reject. But to to have a stronger, more cogent narrative, we have to develop something and present it as being stronger and more convincing. Um you know, to our to our fellow human beings. And um, because otherwise, there's just a lot of uh, crap said that's very unsophisticated. And right now, with the situation with Russia, um, there's just a lot of BS being advanced that is very uncritical and, um, you know, just jibes with the State Department line of what they would like us as the public to believe. So anyway, with that, I will... I will look forward to hearing your uh, your your responses off off the phone. Okay. All right. Oh, thanks for your call, Jonathan. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Well, Jonathan made reference to democracy now, and uh, how the narrative there has been um, kind of pro State Department, and. Uh, it reminded me of their interview once with David Ray Griffith, who was one of the first most credible individuals to come out to refute the 9-11 narrative, the 19, uh, 19 terrorists at box cutters and, and uh, all at the command of Osama bin Laden in the cave. And basically, from what I remember, Amy Goodman uh, had attacked uh, David Ray Griffin uh, on her program and interview, um, and it just spoke very seriously to their commitment to truth. Um, so, anyway, I appreciated uh, your call, Jonathan. And uh, we here at the Truth Perspective are we'll, we'll never get at it a hundred percent, but um, we are trying to uh, come to some much closer semblance to what the truth may be in, in many of these matters. Well, I had a couple of comments to some of the things Jonathan had said. <clears throat> First of all, about uh, the Odessa region and Saakashvili taking over there. Um, 
one of the, I don't think it's been mentioned yet today, but one of the other developments going on in the region has to do with Moldova and Transnistria. So Transnistria is the region, um, it's this kind of little strip of land between Moldova and and Ukraine. It was part of Moldova, but they uh, they basically broke away, and I think it was 1992, declared their independence. And so they've been They've been living and acting as a, as a kind of semi-independent state for years now, decades, and there are um, Russian troops stationed there, peace, peacekeepers, uh, because this is a basically a pro-Russian region. But for the last uh, six years or so in Moldova, there there have been some developments going on. Started with the um, in one of the elections, the Communist Party got the most votes, and this was a bad thing because. Of course, there are oligarchs in Moldova, just like in in Ukraine, and pro-Western oligarchs. And so, these the the pro-Western parties have been um, kind of forming coalitions to to um, kind of outrank the, the the communist or socialist parties. And uh, like last year, the the uh, again, I think it, I think it was the Communist Party that got the most votes again. But um, the the three pro-Western parties again ganged up, and the, what would have been the top-ranking or top-winning party um, was like disqualified from the election 70 hours before, and then the um, one of the leftist party leaders kind of defected and then uh, became like a Western stooge. So in Moldova for for years, this, there's been this same thing going on of this. Um, I would, it would, it's not necessarily a color revolution. It's more just the, um, it's it's what happens when the the West doesn't need to take out, to, doesn't need to to do a, a West a color revolution because they pretty much already have their team in place there through these uh, pro EU pro Western political parties, and so the, there's the conflict is even brewing on that in that part of the region. So right next to to Ukraine and Transnistria is right there next to Odessa. So we there's the potential for for this region to also to 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 kind of for a conflagration to go up there so you, there might be um violence between Transnistria and Moldova and then of course you've got Sakashvili right on the other border so you you've got these pro west well it's the it's the potential to have um these two pro western um governments on each side um surrounding Transnistria. So it's just it just looks to me as if one more possible future front for this kind of war on Russia by proxy and one of the one of the other potential things going on there is just like in Ukraine the far right kind of radical uh neo-Nazi groups, nationalist groups because um the the time is kind of ripe for that to be going on in Moldova with the with the political and economic problems that that country is experiencing right now, so um, I think that's just one thing to one more thing to um, to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Harrison. Um, and just to add on to that, you also have uh, Romania on their other side, which um, you know they're still wanting to you know reclaim Moldova and um, and they're sending in. You know they're nationalists uh, as as, a, as as protesters uh, to you know kind of you know create this uh, instability. So we see these these same patterns um, you know that were really obvious uh, in Ukraine 
you know, happening, you know, all over the place in, in the region. And it's just, it seems to be just part of this uh, larger plan uh, that, you know, that's, that's coming from the West um, to, you know, create this chaos and, you know, to really try to prevent any kind of type of uh, Eurasian integration because that's, you know, really, you know, what the United States sees as as a threat. Um, they want their influence to to dominate these regions, and you know they've got they've got real you know, they've got a huge foothold uh, in Romania, and um, yeah, there, there's a, it just seems a, a lot of potential for conflict, like you say. Well, and that's actually one of the things you mentioned is what's um, kind of could uh, well it's a sign of the direction things are going, in that in the last several years the public support for for the kind of EU association agreement type of thing that uh, that uh, Moldova has wanted to do or integration has gone down from something like 70% to around 40% and so the the western political parties and um, the whole um, EU um, kind of support system is kind of losing its ground and more and more people in Moldova are Turning towards or looking um, looking more favorably upon the Eurasian, um, like the basically siding with Russia and going with the Russian option as opposed to the EU option. So um, that's bound to have some um, some Western string pullers um, up in arms fairly soon. Well. All of this reminded me a little bit of uh, an interview that was made with Evgeny Fedorov uh, about unconventional warfare and uh, color revolution. Uh, this was an interview conducted just a couple months ago by New Insight. And uh, Fedorov is a deputy of the State Duma. Uh, he's also the coordinator of the National Liberation Movement for Restoring Sovereignty of Russia. And he had a number of very interesting things to say, um, the gist of which is that uh, you know that there are all these different types of methods that are employed um, against Russia and other nations uh, to uh, exert influence. Um, and one of the most interesting things I thought was uh, living standards are actually um, purposefully um, lowered by those who are aligned with Western forces in those areas. Um, I can't say that that's necessarily true of Ukraine. The, the living conditions were already kind of uh, mediocre. Um, although, who knows? I mean, the, the U.S. has had its, its pause in Ukraine for, for several years before Maidan. Um, but uh, he says a couple of things. Uh, he says, a purge is not a one-off process. It's a mechanism of continuous cleansing of the government in a particular direction. So either your purges will go in the direction of corruption and external administration, as it has been now. And there have been purges. Good people have been driven out. Bad people have been appointed to the positions of ministers and bosses. The Americans have been conducting purges, and they continue to do so now. Uh, we are particularly monitoring certain benchmark indicators. For example, 
Ekaterinburg. Uh, the leadership of the educational institutions there is being purged. They are being purged in favor of people who will support Maidan. Uh, educational institutions are combat divisions of a Maidan. This is an important element as the Americans view it. Um, and he goes on to say the students, the lecturers, uh, they're supposed to provide ideologemes or elements, he calls it. Uh, but they can't talk ideologemes comprehensively because they are just gas bags. The lecturers are needed to babble hot air. On economics, for example, to fill TV screens with blah, 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 as they are now doing. This is a specific work. Not everyone would be up to it. That's why educational institutions are important for them. Uh, for any of you who've read Political Ponderology, uh, Andrew Lopachowski has a wonderful, uh, as far as it being elucidating, section about how, when he was a student in university, uh, one of his professors was replaced by a guy who was an absolute um, totalitarian type who got up on the podium and and spoke uh, complete nonsense for the time that the class was given. And uh, and so, you know, this process that, that Lobachevsky describes in Panerology is alive and well and, and described by... Uh, Fedorov in this interview. Um, and Fedorov had something else to say in regards to Russia. Uh, he spoke about a real movement on the part of the U.S. to uh, try and get Putin removed. Um, he had a, another interview with uh, New Insight. Uh, the video is called Negotiations to Remove Putin. Uh, this was just about a month and a half ago, uh, July 10th to be exact. And he said that uh, basically the U.S. government is in negotiations with Russia's oligarchs uh, to try and extradite uh, Putin and to dissolve the Russian Federation. And um, uh, Fedorov points out that um, a couple of statements made by U.S. Defense Secretary Ash Carter. Um, Ash Carter just last month uh, said that, um, you know, basically, uh, and I have a, a little bit here, it said that U.S. and NATO needed a strong but balanced approach to Russia, and he questioned whether Moscow's backward-looking, quote, aggressive behavior would change while President Vladimir Putin remains at the helm. So uh, they're kind of um, setting up the idea in the minds of many people that with, with a Putin government, uh, you have a backward-looking administration. Um, and another thing he said was that the United States at least continues to hold out the prospect that Russia, maybe not under Vladimir Putin, but maybe sometime in the future, we'll return to forward a moving course rather than a backward looking course. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how much more obvious it, it, it gets. Uh, but uh, Vladimir Putin is probably obviously the best thing to happen to not only Russia, but to Eurasia 
in in the past hundred years, if not longer. So it, I guess it all depends on what perspective you're looking at, backward looking or forward looking. Well, I just think it would be um, a great thing if all the leaders of all the kind of non-aligned countries, so everyone that isn't in the the Americans um, pay or, you know, bribery books or, or blackmail or whatever, if they were to start speaking about the United States the way the United States and its allies speak of other countries. So I think, you know, and they, they'll never do it, but it would be great to hear people like Lavrov or Putin say that, um, you know, it's time for regime change in the United States and we just can't, uh, you know, we, we just can't, or it's just not good for the world that, this, that whoever is president is president. So, I mean, we're going to be, we're going to be funding all kinds of groups, you know, pro-democracy groups in the U.S. that will be working to, uh, to get human rights and to, you know, to start, to start getting uh, control of the police forces there and getting them to act like human beings. And we're going to, um, you know, whatever possible, we might fund some, some rebel groups in the states some um, to, to. Uh, you know, to maybe take down, take down the president, and uh, you know, get some regime change because that's what the world really needs. I mean, when you put it in terms like that, it it just sounds ridiculous because because no one does that. But that's exactly what the U.S. says about so many other countries, whether it be Russia or China, or Syria or wherever. You know, it's just that's just what they do, and it's it's just accepted as normal that. That the U.S. can and 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 their allies can talk like that, but no one says something similar in regard to the U.S. Well, it's uh, I, you know I don't know that Putin's necessarily going to take that that tack, no. uh, but but it is interesting to see you know the the uh, strategies that they that they have been using. Uh, there was an article recently on SOT regarding the uh, Armenian. Uh, call a revolution um, that they and they've been calling the electric uh, Yerevan, and in that um, one of the interesting pieces was how the Russian media uh, was so effective in you know, talking about all the um, the manipulations and the covert actions of these uh, NGOs and, you know, basically these U.S.-backed organizations. And, um, you know, this isn't the first time that Armenians faced such a thing, but, you know, the population was really prepared uh, for this. And, you know, and so when, um, so when these figures came out basically doing and saying what uh, the Russian media had, you know, uh, Forewarned them about, you know, they they were prepared, and um, the you know this uh, this uh, color revolution was basically a, a flop. Um, so it's a it's it's a it's an inspiring thing, and I think kind of relates back to what um, the things that Jonathan uh, was talking about when he called, and um, you know, basically we need um, as many people who. Uh, you know, can really understand the um, the things that are involved, and in, you know, looking at the global picture and looking at the substance of you know what's being talked about. Um, that's all, that's one of the things that you know, always strikes me is when you look at 
the things that that's coming out of the U.S. media, it's so juvenile, and um, there's, there's there's nothing, there's no meat there, there's no actual information. It's all it's all just you know fear um, and just emotionally based, and you know at, at a really low level too. Um, but when you look at uh, media stations, um, you know like a, a press TV or RT. And you know, and then you see that they're they're actually going into the details of you know why um, you know, why an event happened, what what's going on behind it, and you know all all the the different things that that um, that provide you know a basic uh, education. Now you know, and it's it's always good to you know continue that education and and seek you know uh, uh, an accurate history of what's going on. And um, it, it, it's it's just baffling to see you know how um, how how absent that is uh, in the U.S. and how you know there's just so few people who who even recognize that um, you know it's 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 a bit depressing. Yeah, uh, it's kind of ironic that um, that other countries like uh, like Russia and China are so aware of what basically what color revolutions are and how they happen. And Americans are so ignorant about um, about what really goes on that, in essence, Americans are more at risk of a successful color revolution than, say, Russia or China. Because Russia and China are just are much better prepared. The population of the United States um, doesn't even know that that's how its, the, its own country does business. So they wouldn't even know if it was happening to them. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what we're seeing, um, you know, brewing in some sense in the United States. What do you think about that? Well, I I, I think we are seeing the seeds of it. Um, we've discussed it before on the show. Uh, the black the Black Lives Matter, another uh, Soros meme um, that's been kind of corralling. Uh, anger among blacks for maltreatment and abuse uh, by police um, towards no uh, constructive end. Um, and so that that's one conflict that's brewing. The whole Jade Helm psyops, uh, which is you know, taking names and, and conditioning people to, uh, to think a certain way, um, you know, uh, you know, we spoke a little earlier in the show about um, how uh, a component of of this is actually setting up the condition for a different way. Uh, so you have to wonder about uh, just how orchestrated uh, the coming uh, economic collapses in order to bring about uh, another revolution and to what end. Uh, is it, you know, is it to the end of uh, the ultimate destruction of, of many people in the U.S.? Is it part of some uh, effort toward depopulation? Um, because a lot of people, should this collapse occur, uh, are going to suffer horribly, and there'll be a lot of angry people there who will will be pissed off, and rightly so, at a government that has 
allowed uh, the banks to remain controlled after 2008. Um, so we'll Will that kind of uh, resistance to um, being treated horribly uh, and not having food and, and, a, and, a, and a basic currency, will that be turned into a, a kind of a, a, a co-opted movement as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, to, and to what end? Mm-hmm. Well, I think with the, you know, the Black Lives Matter um, topic, we we have discussed it on previous shows, but just to you know, reiterate some of what was said, um, you, know, you see you see a lot of momentum and you know within this movement, and rightfully so because there is obvious um, racism, obvious murder from the police, and you know it's 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 so oppressive uh, that you know, the rage that people feel. Is, is perfectly understandable, um, but what what it looks like is um, that you know this movement uh, is being co-opted. Uh, George Soros is uh, directly tied you know to funding and mobilizing groups all across the United States, uh, both in Ferguson and in Baltimore. Uh, he's uh, he's given at least thirty-three million dollars. Uh, to support support these groups, you know these so-called grassroots organizations, and you know really I think what um, what they're accomplishing is to create this uh, this division among people um, so that we we don't unite um, you know uh, against against this because you know, these while the the black community is certainly experiencing uh, the brunt of, you know, a lot of these uh, outrageous uh, attacks and behavior from the police. It is also, it, it's, it's, a, it's a macro-social phenomenon that, that is affecting everybody, too. Um, the, and you can see it, like, in the media, how, you know, a lot of some of these stories are... Um, are are created and and um, publicized to a much greater effect than than others, and I think that that's it, it goes back to this uh, division that's trying to create so that we don't uh, stand up with each other and and say, hey, you know, this is um, this is really messed up for us all, and yeah, and that's really the only way that uh, I think people could. Um, could overcome this, and you know, at, at this at this point in time, you know, I don't even know if it is possible uh, to do that. But we do have a lot of the tools to see what is going on, and and that that that's a, a fundamental first that we need to do, we need to accomplish. Well, all this reminds me of, and I, you know, we've talked about him before, but Martin Luther King. I mean, you know, the guy only began with a discussion of civil rights. Blacks, uh, uh, and was really effective in uh, pushing through or, or suggesting that legislation had to be made. Uh, but but when he when he shifted focus a little bit towards uh, the Vietnamese, uh, towards other nations that the that the U.S. had been um, uh, 
subverting and and uh, and annihilating. Um, you know, that's where uh, the military-industrial complex and and political uh, infrastructure of the U.S. is alive. It couldn't be allowed to uh, impinge on on this uh, on this huge money maker. Um, so you know we have you know he, he you know he paid for this knowledge uh, with his life or his efforts to share this knowledge. Um, you know, and that's probably the, the saddest thing about his death is that most people in the in the narrative of Martin Luther King's life. Uh, don't know that he he was really looking at it at a macro social level, as you said, Shane. Uh, he was able to see that um, you know Ferguson is is Kabul, is uh, Baltimore, is uh, is Libya. Uh, it was all part of the same um, much larger uh, process of, of disenfranchisement that uh, institutionalized by these uh, groups in power. Um, and also, sadly, most folks just aren't that interested. <laughs> they don't really care to know. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, Harrison, uh, that's one of the very uh, elements that makes this whole thing so so life for, for a, a type of color revolution here in the U.S., People have been so uh, left out of the loop uh, of what real knowledge is concerning all of this stuff, and um, and of course that makes them more subject to it. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, yeah. Well, do you want to? I, I want to talk about China a little bit. What do you think? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just I'm... wanted to. Uh, I think I think earlier in the show, I can't remember. I think it was Alon. I think you mentioned the um, the new law that's that's uh, that China. I think plans on introducing the overseas NGO management law. I couldn't mm-hmm. hear very well what you were saying because it was pretty choppy. But um, um, I'd mentioned that that Russia and China, for example, their general populations have a better idea of what's going on because their governments are aware of how these things happen and then informs them through their media. And so I think we can learn a little bit by looking at what China and Russia are actually doing. And so, of course, in the past couple of weeks, the, Russia's been in the news because of their uh, um, their stance on, on NGOs and now uh, China, too, because of this overseas NGO management law that has been being discussed. And what this, uh, I don't have all the details on the law, but from what um, from what the Chinese are saying about it, it looks like it is, um, well, its purpose is to regulate, guide, and supervise NGOs operating in China. So from now on, um, foreign NGOs will have to register officially as NGOs. Up until now, many of them have been registering as businesses because it's easier to do so. But so they will, first of all, have to register, and then they may, uh, of course, they'll have to be approved, and uh, they will have to share information back and forth so that the Chinese government uh, knows what they're doing. And so, of course, 
the uh, Western uh, press and politicians are saying just how horrible this is, that it's just another example of how China violates human rights, and uh, it's a restriction of freedom and expression. And um, that's, well, it's pretty funny to, to, to see them say that when you actually look at, you know, the, the facts that we've been uh, that we've been talking about on the show, like Jonathan said um, in his call, that when the when we get presented with something like in the news, vital pieces of information get le- get left out, and so some of these vital pieces of information are what these NGOs actually do, that they are um, agents for foreign interests, and their purpose is not to um, not to promote human rights or to promote freedom and expression, but to do those only in um, backhanded ways um, that also achieve the purpose of destabilizing current regimes and regimes that the that the the politicians and the powers behind these organizations. Um, hey, hey, Harrison. Yeah. Hey, we're we're getting a message that uh, we're we're not being heard right now. So. Oh. Um, this out. Yeah. Maybe we'll. Uh, uh, I think we came back on. Yeah. 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 Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So just that um, that these. Um, oh, let me gather gather my train of thought back. It's taken off. <laughs> well. So these. Uh, so what they actually are are foreign agents for foreign interests, and so naturally it would uh, make sense if a if a country wants to maintain its sovereignty, if these organizations are, first of all, that we know who they are and that they are monitored, monitored to see if they are doing anything illegal, because oftentimes they are. What these NGOs are are basically the, the, um, the plausible deniability for operations that the CIA um, likes to run. Often uh, intelligence, uh, often a lot of the employees for these NGOs are intelligence agents. So it just makes sense. It, you'd think it would be common sense to to uh, be anti-NGO in your own country. I mean, the I guess would it be correct to or at all plausible to call the Israeli lobby uh, an NGO? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, they seem they seem to. I mean, I think I think a lot of these um, organizations and uh, events that are happening, uh, you know, all over the world. They share uh, so many similarities, and you know, really, it, it might just uh, go back to this uh, the shared pathological nature of them all. Uh, that you know, really, um, it, it's, just, it's just pervasive. And a part of this mindset is that others don't have this um, this freedom to associate with who they choose, or or who they don't want to associate with. And that's just you know that when when a country like Russia or China says no, I, I don't want to associate with you. <coughs> excuse me. Um, it, it just sends uh, you know the, these Western powers into a, a they throw a hissy fit. And well, that, um, you, know, you can see how uh, how the West has you know, depicted uh, Putin as a dictator. Um, Chavez, when he was in power, and you know, didn't allow uh, the you know propaganda to come in. You know, he was he was condemned for um, you know uh, for not allowing freedom of speech. 
but you know it's it's really these covert mechanisms that aren't understood by the population um so you know these 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 are are necessary acts uh to 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 do especially when you know they're being um actively oppressed and uh you know have all these uh, measures thrown against them um that, like like the U.S. has done with Cuba, for example. I mean, uh, Castro he's he's done such um, uh, so amazing such an amazing job in uh, doing so many things for his people. You know, healthcare and education, and you know, for a, a third world country, um, you know, they're seen as you know, among other third world countries, they're seen as this you know, uh, to accomplish major major things. When they've had so much um, to to act against, you know, from the United States, and um, so you know that that whole context is is missing uh, from from the narrative that we're told. Just that um, you know, there's there's no freedom of speech and blah 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 blah, and um, they don't look at it from the perspective that hey, you know, um, we this country doesn't want to associate with you because yeah, you're you're doing all these nasty things. Yeah, and, that, and that's that comes back to like the the joke. I well, the my little thought experiment that was half a joke about um, how awesome it would be if other countries talked about the U.S. the way the U.S. talked about them. In that, um, if that were to happen, um, oh, you know, I just lost it. Um, Nope, lost the train of thought. But uh, I'll, I'll just move on to something else related. But um, one of the things that gets left out when all these, when uh, when talking about these, for example, NGOs in China, is that it's not just that um, they're talking about human rights and you know freedom of speech and expression. Um, they also support terrorists now. Uh, in the case of China, the groups like the NED have been uh, or give a lot of support to the. Um, now I'm, I'll mispronounce these names for sure, but the, the local Muslim uh, Uyghur population in Xinjiang. So there's this. It's been a kind of this this conflict region where with this these Muslim groups there, and NED supports them and. Um, so there's several different groups, one of which is the, the World Uyghur uh, Congress. And speaking of crazy made-up stories uh, just recently, the, this, the, the World Congress, they said, uh, oh, first of all, these guys are NED-funded, and they said, um, told the media, like world media, so this story got coverage all over, hundreds of articles in Western media, that China had banned Ramadan, and they hadn't. So this story was just kind of made up, but it made the rounds, and Turkey got behind it and was, and was criticizing China for, for banning Ramadan and um, when it hadn't happened. And so China tried to kind of um, uh, counter the propaganda by, by telling everyone, well, no, look, you know, Ramadan's being celebrated all over when it actually did happen. And... But, uh, you know, the damage is already done by that point when you have the media spreading all these stories. And when you look at Tur Turkey's involvement, so Turkey was one of the countries that got behind this propaganda about Ramadan, 
um, Turkey has actually been caught, um, well, agents of theirs, so Turkish, Turkish agents have been arrested in China um, for funneling um, terrorists from the, the from Xinjiang region across across borders and base. So these guys come from that region and then they go to train with ISIS and stuff like that. And so Turkey has been has been facilitating this and providing forged documents and fake documents to get across borders. So, right. I mean, it all comes back to that: is that you've got when you when you look at color color revolutions, you've got your your kind of soft power campaign where it's all about um, public perception and media management and um, kind of hijacking these hijacking or totally creating these popular movements for um, let's say human rights or, or some kind of social reform. And that's kind of the the light version, but then you've got the, the the violent mercenary aspect as well, and we saw that in Ukraine last year. And that's where these, uh, you know, the radical Islam element comes in because it's a it's a Western intelligence creation; it always has been. And you've got this exact same thing happening in China. So um, these and the so these groups in China they are terrorist groups. They've engaged in several terrorist acts, uh, you know, bombings, suicide bombings, um, and yet they are supported and not condemned for these by groups like NED. So it's just a a total uh, big example of utter hypocrisy that the West can support like terrorist groups in other countries and then. Um, through their NGOs and uh, support these so violent destabilization of the, the countries that, that these NGOs are involved in, and yet, for example, um, throw these hissy fits about China violating human rights and re- restricting freedom of, of expression for these very NGOs. So it's just it's utterly ridiculous when when you look at what's actually happening. So all the new all the all the news that. Uh, and, and facts about these organizations that isn't public knowledge and that isn't publicized in countries like the West, when really they are, uh, like, they're not, they're not something that any country would want operating in their country, just to put it, uh, you know, plainly. Well, yeah, uh, when you're talking about Turkey, uh, I'm just continually... Um, just baffled by you know their their behavior. Uh, it seems that they're trying to you know, play all sides, and um, you know, they have a clear um, they have clear interests with you know, integrating uh, with with China and 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 Russia, and you know they they want to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the SCO. And and you know they they want to have this uh, the pipeline from from Russia going through, but yet then they're also engaging in all these other activities uh, that you know lend a helping hand uh, to you know just uh, instigating um, destabilization and mm-hmm. you know uh, funding uh, ISIS and uh, you know these you know, so-called rebel fighters and. It's it's um they're they're really impeding any kind of progress because they're really at the center of, of it all um, you know kind of being at the um, the interface between the east and the west and um, 
and it's just really disappointing to see uh, the the things coming out of Turkey that you know it's constantly this back and forth and um, you know just not really looking. I don't, I don't know if there's a, any real capacity to uh, to see you know what could be uh, for you know a larger uh, Eurasian organization. You know when when you were describing that, Shane, I was wondering if there was a way to um, psychologically categorize uh, the government of a given country because uh, I, I, I just kept thinking, oh yeah, Turkey's really schizophrenic. I mean, in one on one hand, they you know they uh, they perform this kind of a um, uh, a cleansing of uh, Islamists uh, from their government that were pro-U.S. And on the other hand, they're doing, you know, all of this other stuff in conjunction with the U.S., uh, you know, in, in the form of um, supporting ISIS, for instance, uh, and their other maneuvers. And yet they're also making deals with Russia with their new South Stream and, and trying, as you mentioned, to, um, you know, form economic uh, connections with the Eurasian Union. Um, and so, you know, is there, and it's really just an abstract question. I don't know what, what use it would be, but, uh, you know, is this, you know, we could, we could kind of, insofar as we, we can label one, you know, each of these countries has a different character, uh, a, a psychological level of health. Um, and they all seem to be more or less uh determined by how much they succumb uh to the corrupt influence of the west and how far they're willing to go uh in doing the west's bidding uh and and making connections with the west mm-hmm. um, so you know maybe maybe one day just uh just for fun someone can write an article and 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 you know describe all of these you know United States of America, essential psychopaths, uh, you know, Turkey, schizotypal or, or schizoidal or, you know, uh, Israel, essential psychopath, and, and, and just go down the list based on their, the, the ways that they operate in the world and, and their, uh, their MOs. But getting back for a moment to what you were saying, Harrison, about um, you know this kind of two-pronged approach uh, to destabilizing a country, mm-hmm. um, there's this. Uh, you know, Fedorov also kind of makes the point that there are these kind of levels to which the West is um, is behaving towards these countries. There is the economic warfare, the color revolution, and Kind of, um, you know, paying off uh, these fifth columnists in various countries, and uh, that's pretty much as far as they can go, unless they're willing to commit to nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what we're what we're basically seeing now um, is is aggression, naked uh, naked aggression towards uh you know Russia and China that is you know in this in this scale that uh, Fedorov describes just below 
um, nuclear war. I mean, that's really the only direction they could go to. Um, you know, from here, if if their if their plans don't work, and it's not to say that it's inevitable that there'll be some kind of uh, conflict on that level, but uh, my oh my, if, if they aren't pulling out all the stops to try and covertly undermine these these other nations. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what else to say to that. Well, was there anything else you wanted to add to this topic of color revolution today? Well, you know, I... I um I just think it's so farcical the the, the way that you know these these um, these things happen and you know it, you see the same the same thing over and over and over again and um, one of the examples that Harrison gave earlier um, I, I think you were talking about the medals um, oh, and you know that it's not necessarily a um, color revolution like we take like we typically see uh but you know this this past year um yeah i think there's been a lot of events you know similar in nature where there's these overarching patterns you know um the in in the beginning of the year you know i think we i think it was the beginning of the year we started off with uh the charlie hebdo fiasco and um you know it it just there's so many, there's like, you know, you have everybody out on the streets with uh, all the same, you know, black and white signs, uh, just sweet Charlie or I am Charlie. And, you know, they were like these ready made, ready to go, put in people's hands. And just the, the lack of creativity that, that, uh, that they have around this. I mean, the, um, the propaganda piece that we played earlier from, um, a young girl in Ukraine, um, you know, it was, it's titled "I Am Ukrainian," uh, and you know, you have these 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 catchphrases that uh, are put out there, and you know, there's there's not really much um, much difference, and you know, perhaps that's because uh, they're effective and and they know that that it's going to work, um, but I'm sure you know we'll be seeing. A lot more of the same, uh, if history is any indicator, um, you know, in in the, the coming months and uh, in the near future. Um, so, so yeah, I guess uh, just uh, we'll have to all keep our our eyes out. Keep open. Well, yeah, everybody, keep your eyes open. Uh, learn to see the patterns. Uh, we have a lot of information that's become available about how these things work. And, um, you know, you can see it as a kind of a lesson for this time and age and place that we're living in. Uh, you know, this is, this is how empires operate. This is how empires die. Uh, this is how sovereign nations that would like to be honest brokers for a real future for their people uh, respond if they have any kind of spine and intelligence. Um, 
So I'm sure it's a story that will be ongoing and will probably continue this uh, as we see developments occur. And uh, thank you, listeners, for bearing with us during our technical difficulties. We appreciate you standing by. And thank you, Jonathan, so much for calling in and uh, contributing today and sharing your thoughts on uh, on the topic of the day. And uh, just a reminder, uh, tomorrow behind the headlines at 2 p.m. Uh, and uh, the Health and Wellness Show next Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, we thank you for listening in and be safe and have a great week. And uh, thanks again, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Go there, Harrison.